It's April 19th, 2023, and this is Rare Encounter, encounter number 142. And uh, doing this solo, I'm Abel Kirby. Hey, uh, folks, we don't have a regular show today. I promised I put something out. Uh, I didn't want to have dead air like last time, so I'm doing a little pre-recorded bit. Um, not online with cold acid. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't make a backup recording date yesterday, so we're... Uh, we're just floating this one, and uh, I don't want the feed to go stale, so I'm going to put something out and talk about a couple different things. Uh, first thing that's been on my radar, I've spoken about this on the show before, is XFL playoffs. They're coming up uh, the last of the 10 weeks of normal play in XFL is actually this weekend, so we're pretty excited to uh, to watch that. Uh, I'm a DC Defenders fan. I must have told the story on the show before, but I went and saw back in 2020 a DC Defenders game. Um, just their first game in that new season with Vince McMahon, you know, resurrecting the XFL. And I got to see that at Audi Field in uh, DC because I was in town. Uh, I'll repeat the whole story, I guess. Uh, the I was in town for a business meeting and I was actually in town for a, it was before I lived in, in Maryland, and I was talking to the hotel uh, bartender and asking for stuff to do. And he suggested the XFL's on, why don't you go get a ticket? So I, you know, I was just maybe a couple brews in, and uh, I said, sure, why the hell not? I booked, found there was a couple seats left, a couple tickets left, a uh, really shitty seats, like standing room only. And I bought that on my phone, and I went the next day and uh, actually had a blast hanging out with all these jabronis this DC uh, jabronis uh, doing all kinds of stupid shit in the stands. And uh, it was just a, a load of fun. And I bought a hat and everything, little souvenir. And uh, never really got to see an XFL game for years after that because, of course, they closed the league down. A couple things happened in the meantime. Uh, the ownership kind of wavered. They were about to lose uh, or become insolvent. They needed some outside money. And... Uh, Three different investors came in, and uh, one of them being Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's the most visible of the owners. And uh, he came in and is now the owner of the uh, whole whole league, uh, co-owner, along with uh, some other folks. Uh, but he's the one making uh, the promotional videos and things. He's the most visible guy there and uh, really, really talking it up. Uh, now that I have the open floor to talk about XFL, I just want to point out some of the stuff I really love about it. <laughs> If you're like me, like I know I am, you liked these NFL lip dubs that they were putting out some years ago where they would have, you know, Tom Brady dubbed over, you know, you see his lips flapping on NFL, but you can't hear what he's saying. And people, they're just comedians would dub over stupid, silly things he was saying. And after watching the XFL, I just never, never would care for these NFL lip dubs again, because why do I want to hear some other Jamokes? take on on what would be a silly thing to say when the reality is actually even sillier the kind of stuff with this all access they have is uh is just hilarious the players are saying stupid shit all the time they're cheering um all the play calls are like they're you know there's a play call they keep calling gucci main or they keep calling uh you know, they might as well have one that's KFC. One of these, one of these quarterbacks, and you can you can hear it in the in the games. Um, all his play calls were like Polish pastries. 
And they would interview him. Uh, the other thing they do in the XFL is like during the game they play, they, they play right? And then um, when the other team has the ball, they go and interview the quarterback during the game as he's standing on the sideline and they ask him what's going on and they ask him, you know, what the hell are you doing? What, what is that play call? We hear you saying it all the time. What's that word mean? He goes, oh, that's a Polish word for a Polish donut. You know, that's uh, just like the silliest stuff. The announcers are fun. Everyone's having a lot of fun. Um, it's... it's uh, it's good football. It's not too serious. I think that's the main thing I like about it is there's no one stuck up about this. It's just a lot of good, wholesome fun. So uh, anyway, DC Defenders are almost undefeated. Uh, they they actually lost to the worst. The only game they lost was to the worst team in the league, which uh, which I believe that was the Orlando Guardians. Coincidentally, that the only game they won was beating the Defenders. So there was some weird drama going on, but... Very, very fun. Um, it also opened my eyes to something that I'd never appreciated with football. And I played backyard football, but I never played in, in high school or anything like that. And the uh, the aspect of the game, which you you miss out on in college football and NFL, if you can't hear the audio of the players talking, is you miss the play calls. And just being able to hear them, so you hear the defensive coordinator telling his guys what they're supposed to do when you go see them line up. And the offensive coordinator is, you know, on the other stereo channel, you know. So the one's in the left ear, one's in the right ear, if, if you're watching the game with the, uh, with the sound turned up. And you hear, like, the offensive coordinator tells his guys, they line up, they get their play ready. And then you hear the defensive coordinator freak out, and he has to change the call because based on how they lined up. And he knows, he knows what they're about to do, and it's just so you see that last couple seconds of the play clock where everyone's scrambling trying to figure out what to do um it has so much more meaning when you hear these guys talking and what i realized after watching enough xfl was there's a whole layer to american football that i just never got it wasn't available to me because uh, i'm watching nfl streams and you know i suppose if you got really into the game you know i was talking to a guy the other night who's uh, really into college football. He's talking about um, how he can tell the OSU play just by how they're lined up. He's that good. But, you know, he's at a very high-intensity level for a fan, and I'm, I'm nowhere near ready to invest that kind of time in football. But with XFL, it's like, hey, you can just see what's happening. You don't have to into it, and you don't have to uh, have a bunch of inside information and watch a thousand games to figure out what's going on. You know, the, you, you can just listen in. And uh, it becomes really clear that the strategy involved is not trivial. It's a extremely important part of the game that audiences have been deprived of for decades. It's absolute. It's an absolute sin that this wasn't available before. And I know why they wouldn't want it. The first time I heard these coordinators calling, I said, "Whoa, holy shit! What the, does that mean? The other team's gonna just know what they're saying?" And yeah, that's it. They they can. And so you can go watch the opponents, other games, and hear what those calls are. And that just increases the tension and the strategy and the, uh, the uh, desire to do trick plays and uh, change calls and all that. Because it's, it's open access. You can hear what the other team is doing or was doing last week and try and react to it. So there's, it's, it's, it's different, but it's also fair. Um, and they, 
They've had audio problems, for example, in the XFL. Some games they had, like, one team, the quarterback's headset stopped working, so they have the radio built into the helmet. And You know, they're a new league. They're figuring stuff out. The audio was a little rough for the first couple of games. They dropped the audio from, from the coordinator, and so they went and they turned off the other team, to be fair, and, until they had it sorted out. So it's, uh, uh, you know, just, just very interesting. I would call it a little bit casual. Um, it doesn't have the intensity of the fan bullshit. It's just people having fun, and the players love it. There was even games when we had uh, NFL players who were friends with the XFL players, you know, because they went to college. They played on so there's crossover players, like people who played on different in different leagues, including the CFL and other ones. And they uh, so you have like guys. Oh, the Dallas Cowboys guys are here, and they're just hanging out on the sidelines watching their friends play football. And then XFL would go interview them, so they interview the NFL guys, talking about how how they're having fun at the XFL game. It's just just a fantastic bit. Um, so anyway, there's my my uninterrupted spiel on XFL. I'm very very uh, very very uh, into this idea. Um, I guess the last thing that I that I would want to comment is coming to mind is that the reviews of plays are very transparent too. They'll actually show you in the booth when the refs are reviewing the play, you see them, you know, on camera watching the screen. You see every cam camera angle they're looking at and you hear the banter between the refs before they hit that mic switch, but they key their mic to talk to the stadium and announce the foul or whatever the complaint was. You hear them bickering back and forth about which player number was that? Was it a holding? Was it not? What, you know, what do we want to do about this? And so you hear the internal discussion of the, of the, uh, referees and you get to see, um, this uh, particular guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, who's uh, reviewing all the plays. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, Blandino, I think, is his name. I think they even had a, they had a play that was named after him, too, because they're a new league and they're trying to figure out what these new rules are. They actually had a team, I think a week, a week ago, had done some new trick play that... that had never been done in the league before and they cleared it with uh blandino who's their head you know the the whole league's head um uh, uh kind of rules guy and he's at every he reviews every single play of every game it's pretty awesome to see him and they named the play after him because <laughs> they had to get his approval beforehand to make sure it was legal and uh so that was that was pretty cool um anyway uh the the last games uh of the regular season is uh this weekend, I'll be watching that, be seeing what's happening, and then we have playoffs, and they're going to do a kind of league championship sort of thing at the end. I'm I'm sure it'll all be fun, uh, good time for all. Now, there's some other stuff that I've been uh, meaning to talk about, and really haven't had the space to uh, to put in. Um, there's there's been some topics in science and engineering I wanted to babble about for a while, especially with um, just the history of kind of modern chemistry. I'm not, I don't know, I guess I'm not really sure I want to go into that now, but a little while ago I dabbled in doing a solo podcast. I actually only did one show of it where I was talking about image formation and uh, wave numbers. I think I called the, the, the thing the wave number show. <laughs> And 
I don't know. It's it's just one of those things I, I hope to get back to someday. This is probably the wrong venue for it, so I'll let it, let it lie there. Um, there's been some good news on kind of the podcasting audio kind of stuff where you have, or music through uh, RSS. Um, I guess Wave Lake's doing some interesting things. I get emails from them once in a while uh, for this Abel and the Wolf project they did with uh, Sir Spencer. Wow, geez, what was it? 2020. It was a couple of years ago we actually kicked that off, but um, still coming in. I'm not going to do boostograms for that. I, you know, we used to have a podcast where we talked about them, but uh, I appreciate everyone who's still listening to that. The uh, the uh, whole project was pretty special to me, and I'm I'm glad there's still people listening and uh, and sending their messages back. Um. If some Neo Leo says, I'll save that for cold acid. I, I want to do that with him. I enjoy it more. Uh, Business Insider had a story about American scientists turning dead birds into drones, which is pretty gnarly, where they actually taxidermied birds with drones and uh, uh, to do different uh, flight technique studies is what they were trying to do. And so this is uh, another aspect to the birds aren't real, uh, folks. I think it's... Uh, it's actually more disturbing than than cool. I mean, you could have, you didn't need to put the the dead bird in there. I think you could have made a drone and kind of worked around that, but whatever. Anyway, um, let's see. I think that might be all I really want to rant about now. I guess I got some XFL stuff out of the way. Maybe we'll do one more topic before we go. How about that? I've been listening to some other podcasts uh, lately, and I highlighted this on a previous episode uh, that there's been a few good Lex Friedman podcasts. Uh, I do enjoy a show sometimes. It's it's really one where you need the fast-forward button, and he's a guy who just gets caught up in his own bullshit way, way too often. But he had um, Simone Yetch, who is this queen of shitty robots. I used to see her on Brace for Reddit. Back when she was on this uh, shitty robot subreddit uh, some years ago, I remember her, and uh, I didn't know much about her. I just knew that she was some chick who made basically robot arms do silly things, like you know, slap a pie in her face or whatever. And basically, malfunctioning bad ideas um, brought to life and then turned into uh, turned into YouTube videos. It was pretty fun, but. I recognized her as with the shitty robots queen moniker and listened to the the interview and it was actually fascinating. Uh, I I honestly really like her and my favorite part is that she's on the Lex Friedman show and she's calling him out on some of his bullshit um, on the show. So it's very much like when I listen to a show, I either I'm fast forwarding or sometimes I just want to yell back like shut up Lex basically is what I want to tell him or and uh, she doesn't quite go that far but she does diss him quite a few times on the show for the just the stupid pseudo-intellectual shit he gets caught up in all the time and I think it's just it's a fantastic listen if you uh, have the sense of humor for it, it it's, it's a little subtle uh, but I thought it was great the Dead Fish wallpaper is doing well. It's been my desktop background for quite some time. And I hope you all have downloaded that image and made it your own desktop background. I think that's uh, it's uh, very valuable for you to do that, to see those dead fish. And just remember how great it is to not be a fish and also be alive. Uh, 
pretty pretty fantastic. Um, if you have it as your background, sometimes I find myself thinking about like fillet of fish at McDonald's, um, maybe getting hungry for tartar sauce, and then I I think about that for a minute and wonder. I don't know what what about a dead fish makes me remember McDonald's. Hmm. I think the next move with this uh, dead fish theme is definitely a screensaver. We've got to get all these pictures of dead fish, kind of isolate the fish. You know, we're going to have to use some uh, some uh, editing to mask them out, and uh, then have them animated. You know, kind of floating around the. Uh, your, your screensaver. Unfortunately, I don't think it'll be a good screensaver because all the fish will be just floating at the top of the screen, and so the rest of the screen is probably going to get burning. In other news, uh, I've been getting more and more uh, of this software as a service uh, or subscription crap out of my life and getting uh, really centered on using free tools whenever possible. I've, I've been a GIMP fan for some time, uh, but Inkscape, I'm trying to take over some of the drawing that I've been using with some uh, Microsoft products, uh, really doing really doing rudimentary like block diagram kind of drawings with uh, PowerPoint and some other shit, and just getting, getting out of there and doing it in Inkscape instead. The uh, it, the whole situation with this uh, free open source software is it's gotten so much better in the last decade. There's really good solutions out there I get excited about. And, you know, even LibreOffice. It still has some problems, but I was actually spending time reconfiguring it to do what I, uh, to try, try and make it usable again. Unfortunately, it's always had this problem where it seems like it's designed by people who don't love documents. Um, and or don't produce high-end documents. Uh, they produce you. Know, I don't know what they do, but there's some of the key features that you're expecting to be at the tips of your fingers. Stuff that you know I would use. It, I, I think it should be a click away since you use it so often. It's buried five or th five or six layers in through menus. But uh, I found out that they do have a ribbon-like interface. Um, so I guess they've. I guess you could say they stole it from uh, Microsoft Office, but since Microsoft stole that ribbon interface from Autodesk, I don't know, maybe it's a, it's hard to trace all the way back. I'm sure Autodesk uh, uh, had stolen the idea from someone else before. But that's neither here nor there. What is interesting, though, is this is the first episode of Rare Encounter uh, that's been completely recorded on uh, open source software. Since I'm recording on a Graphene OS device and I'm using an open source audio recorder, uh, I think this is a first. Uh, we're probably going to release it as MP3, though it's not yet an MP3. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to release it in the normal way. So by the time you are listening to this, it will already be uh, encoded in a non-free way. But uh, at least for now, the the production phase of this, it's actually uh, all open source, which is pretty cool. I've uh, been looking at Noster a little bit. Uh, it's something that's been on my radar for a while. I guess No Agenda was talking about it for a while, too. I, I didn't really follow what they had to say about it. But the concept is interesting to me. Um, the subscribing to a relay to post is... I'm, I'm not sure I, I understand how I would know 
which relays are good enough to subscribe to. Uh, there's really a discover discoverability problem on on it right now. So it's hard to tell. Like you start it up and the first thing you get is, depending on what app you get, you're auto-connected to a couple different nodes and or relays. I'm, I'm not sure what they really call them. And you get just a bunch of Chinese spam. It's almost entirely Chinese spam. It's not even porn. It's just like bullshit over and over and over and over. And it maybe it's just because it's so new, but it was hard to find English-speaking humans on there. It felt like everyone was a bot of some sort and that it was a fire hose of garbage. But it seems like once you get connected to a couple real people, um, so far the only real people I've I've really followed are basically people who develop for Noster or who are evangelizing it. And so you basically get the the meta platform discussion uh, folks. And there's no that I've seen meaningful discussion of anything except Noster on Noster. So in that way, it's kind of like ham radio where it's just guys uh, calling each other and talking about their own rigs, uh, 90% of it anyway. Uh, I like the concept, though. It seems like it fixes a problem with that Mastodon has um, and by being more decentralized, but it's... it's it's something that I'm going to track. I do think it has uh, it has some something to give or something to learn from. Uh, I, and I think the most interesting thing about it is that it's not it's not a, necessarily a social media platform. It's you transmit notes and other things uh, and other stuff by relays. I think is what the the acronym of the the name stands for. And so there's discussions that I've seen of using it as kind of a GitHub sort of replacement where you're using your Noster keys to uh, check things in and out instead of an email address. And, you know, one of the things I always thought was sketchy about GitHub, and I guess it's not, sketchy is the wrong word. It, it was a, it felt like, it felt like a crutch was that you needed email address uh and login information from basically at this point Microsoft to do anything with with it and I like the idea of having a non-email address identity I guess we've always had that you know because you could these encryption uh, and key signing schemes have been around for a long time but they haven't really been popular uh, not among you know normal people and I consider myself a little bit more normal than uh, I, I guess I'm I shouldn't uh, place myself on that scale at all. I'll let you decide how normal I am. But the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's hard to adopt something when it's not palatable. You know, if you have to jump through a bunch of hoops um, to use some new system, you know, you're probably not going to do it. Uh, just like those features in LibreOffice that I was looking for, if they're not at your fingertips and you're looking for, look, no, really, I do just want to make this one little line bold when I'm drawing, you know, a block diagram. I don't want to change the style of everything that's, you know, and define a new style to make a, a variant that has bold and then, then only apply it to this one section. It's, it's, uh, and I, and I know there's ways to do that, but it's not as immediately obvious um, and I'm not even talking about LibreOffice uh, Draw. I think it's Impress is the the PowerPoint uh, 
knockoff, and that's the one that's given me the most hell, you know. The writer is actually not too bad. I've done some good stuff with writer before, and but some of these auxiliary things, they're just a little, little hard to get used to, and, uh, you know, I'll say the Microsoft ones all have, you know, Microsoft PowerPoint has its own bullshit. It has its own set of, like, stupid things that you have to know about to make it work, but, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just training and experience. I'm very comfortable with, with, uh, the commercial products and, uh, it gets frustrating when you're trying to do the one or two little things and there's, it's not obvious how to get from where you are to where you need to go and there's no great way to find, uh, the path, you know, other than Googling it and hoping someone on some form has answered your exact question. But anyway, support forms are a different kind of hellhole. We don't need to talk about that now. Well, speaking of apps, uh, changed to Podverse mostly. Uh, I used to have CurioCaster. Uh, that was my main. Actually, before that, I was on PodFriend as my main uh, podcast player. Uh, I had a little trouble with CurioCaster. Just the, the extra frustrations that I don't need. I, I use several different computers to listen to podcasts, I have two different phones, you know, different computers that are, and, and I always want them to be synced up. And it seemed like using a, a web app where you log into it, it would, you know, carry your podcast from one, uh, from one browser to another. And it, it just never did that. So I think, uh, I think I just got frustrated with some of that. Um, and the boosting was just hit or hit or miss sometimes there was a there was a series of weeks where i would try and do basic things like uh fill up my wallet and send a boostergram and or stream a streaming podcast that was live and it just you click it and you get a, a throbber which is the spinning thing in the middle of your screen when it's something's loading you're waiting and it would just never play um, now, uh, I think that was down by the play button. There's some indication it's, it's doing something and it just wouldn't play. Um, so I, I, I'd had a lot of trouble with Podverse before too. I can never, but I finally did. I, I had to do it on the website first and then get the app, um, the, uh, Android app. And uh, I actually got logged in, and I was able to use it a couple times. I still wasn't able to listen to Hog Story live um, through it, so I hit play, and then no sound came out. But I could send a boostergram, so there was that. Um, there's a little little annoyances like when you send a boostergram, Alby wants you to confirm every single split. That's a little. Uh, I'm, there has to be a way to turn that off. Uh, if there's not already, there needs to be because I can't click six buttons. You know, you're clicking the boost button to start, and then you have to type in everything, which is fine. I don't mind filling out the form. But then as soon as you hit uh, the send boostergram button, then you have to click several more times. And then there's more pop-ups that confirm that you've sent uh, the, you know, f small amount of Satoshis to all these different people. It's uh, It's a little much. I know that they're trying to protect you from being scammed, but when you're doing microtransactions at this scale, you know, you, the friction has to go away. There has to be a way to alleviate it. But that's 
just my complaint about it. I, I and I guess this is my bitch fest about software now. I still use Reaper for uh, most of my recording and editing. So that's also non-free software. That's something I paid for. I bought a license. Uh, I've been a user of that for a very long time. It's a very affordable single-user license, um, and, and I compare its functionality to any any digital audio workstation out there. Um, I got to measure the speed of sound with it the other day. I was setting up a test at work, and we needed to use microphones spaced at distances. You're basically trying to verify a, uh, verify the speed of something with a, with a um, lot of accuracy. Uh, and anyway, the bottom line is, uh, just, just in preparation, I got a couple microphones. I got some XLR cable. It's probably like 200 feet of it. Stretched it out and started, you know, measured the distance between the two mics. And then um, because I had two equal length delay lines. So I had a mic right next to my laptop, but it still had that coil of, uh, I think it was a hundred feet of a coil, hundred feet of uh, XLR cable. And then I had another one going way out that actually went a hundred feet away. Uh, I could get the, um, I had the sample rate turned up as high as it would go on my uh, Motu and, you know, actually confirm that they were, uh, all, they were almost sample accurate at the highest uh, sample rate, which I think it was 192 uh, kilohertz sampling rate. And so what you do is, you know, you're, you're going through these long coils of wire. Well, what you do is you physically put those two mics right next to each other. Then you tap, I was tapping a screwdriver on the table. And then you can zoom in in Reaper and see the, the actual individual samples and see when see what the shape of those impulses are and so you know at that speed even even a quick tap with a screwdriver is many many samples wide but you can kind of look at where the leading edges are and, and and realize that it's the same sound going to both microphones so you can uh, use that to cue yourself onto how accurate and I, and I think it was within five or six samples and given the fact that the features I was trying to align were several samples of wiggle room, uh, you know, getting it that close was pretty impressive. Of course, then once you've you've proven that you're sort of coherent, you know, that a sound issued from the same place takes the same time to travel through each microphone and be registered by the uh, analog to digital converter, then you can take that other microphone and actually move it 100 feet away and uh, then start measuring the delay. And it was a very, very cool little experiment. Felt like I was in a, you know, school physics project measuring the speed of light at uh, room temperature, nominal humidity and all that good stuff. Uh, brought me back. And uh, I got the, I can't remember the exact answer, but, you know, you compute it in samples and then you find out, well, based, I know what my sample rate is and you go and find out how long it was. And there you go. You get the phase velocity of an acoustic wave, pressure wave. Um, I should say it's a longitudinal wave, not every pressure wave. I guess the ones that go through the air are uh, longitudinal waves, but there's other kinds of waves that travel, like seismic waves that are shear waves, for example, um, that can actually be polarized uh, depending on the shear direction. So, ah, uh, well, maybe I should do that bit about 
physics someday. You can really talk about some of this shit that you probably wouldn't get uh, unless you listen to... I don't know if there's even a podcast that would describe it. To, to learn about it, you'd have to get into some pretty detailed reading. And I, I think it's fascinating. And there's no reason that you can't just explain it to people if, if it's interesting to anyone. So maybe I should do something like that more often. Uh, I personally find it fascinating. I want to talk about all these different wave uh, modes. And now that I think about it, I think we did some bit about that on Rare Encounter some time ago. We had this uh, shear waves. What was that called? It was a low... Uh, velocity sh uh, shear wave. So we had um, S waves and P waves from seismic activity in the Earth, and the uh, the shear waves had a property where they wouldn't go through fluid very well. And so what you'd find out is that the um, using the timing difference from them, you can transform images of what's inside the Earth. You know what what's the uh, what kind of matter is is it going through? It at least find the density of it. So because that'll be proportional to the um, to the phase velocity but you can also find based on kind of the polarization of some of the waves or whether they transmit through material or not you can you can start to find like voids and I think they were called low shear velocity regimes these very interesting blobs of of something way down and way below the earth's surface and like there's a giant one underneath i think the coast of africa it's off like the uh the west side of africa very very mysterious stuff and uh we should revisit that that was a good one i, I remember giving cold acid a lot of shit the reason we found out about it was he found some article claiming that it was leftovers from uh formation of of uh we, when the Earth's moon was created by the impact of another planet, and so there's basically these chunks of of leftovers that somehow got stuck into the Earth, like you know, like a sliver going under your fingernail getting stuck in there for you know a millennia ago. Anyway, it turns out that so-called science was just some guy making things like he he thought that this was something that could happen. And, you know, okay, well, there's a lot of things that could happen, but show me the evidence. Um, it, it, there is evidence that there's something down there or, or something unusual about it. It's a uh, it's it's strange that it's so asymmetric and. When you think about solar, uh, stellar objects, planets and stars and stuff, they tend to get kind of homogenous. So you see, like the moon, it seems to be just just from inspection uh, at a first approximation, kind of seems like it's all the same stuff, and it's all, you know, maybe it's clumpy, but it's you know, uh, uniform. And the same thing with the sun, you know, this processes that go on inside it at least at a first approximation, seem to be uniform. But when you get, when you drill down, you see, oh, well, actually, there's some really complex um, things going on, like the, uh, you know, there's different layers to the sun, and sometimes, they, uh, sometimes they're not symmetric. Like, there's features you can see on it, you know, like the spot on Jupiter. It's another asymmetry out there. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe things are just more... Uh, or less uniform than uh, we like to imagine they are. That's probably the, what, what's really going on. 
Uh, there's a total solar eclipse um, in the southern hemisphere uh, that's actually tomorrow. So what's that mean? Does that mean it's today for us? Hmm. It's very... I, I, need to, I need to track that down. Uh, it could be happening right now. Anyway, the, uh, the path is over Southeast Asia and a little bit of Australia. There's a total solar eclipse visible from a couple places. And um, I had to do some research to remember the difference between a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse. And uh, at first I was, I, I just couldn't remember lunar eclipses. Uh, and so I would just repeat it now for the benefit of everyone else. Uh, we have uh, the earth where we are observing things around us and the moon tends to spin around the earth in orbit and the, the sun appears from our perspective to rotate around us and so if you think of that system you you basically always the only thing that can really happen is the sun's always in, during the day um, almost always visible except at certain times of the year I think twice a year there's a chance that the moon will actually cross between the earth and the sun um, and the moon's orbits tilted with respect to the um, the Earth-Sun, I guess it doesn't really make a plane, but it, uh, I guess the Earth-Sun, and if you track the orbit of the Earth around, you can say that it, it basically falls in a plane. You could regress it to a plane. And anyway, the plane that the Earth and Moon, if you regress that to a plane that the, that the Moon stayed in as it orbited the Earth, you find out they're tilted from each other. And so they only cross sometimes. Um, and that's when that happens then the moon can get between the sun and the earth and you get what I always think of as an eclipse and so it, 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 but it's specifically a solar eclipse and reading the um, the news about this I kept seeing lunar eclipse um, mentioned in different different places I kept kicking myself saying what the hell again what was a lunar eclipse it seems like there's only one thing that could happen um, and so I'm sure, I'm sure as some of you already know, um, the lunar eclipse is just when the Earth gets between the sun and the moon. And so this is one of these events where the, you basically get a red-looking moon um, as, the, uh, as the moon, which would be full in the sky, um, we know is illuminated by the sun uh, and reflecting back to us. And that's why it appears bright. So there's a chance that... For the, the the same kind of geometry can happen where the Earth, a um, couple times a year, can cross between the Sun and the Moon and actually cast a shadow over it, and it causes a uh, reddish color. Uh, according to the pictures, I can't remember ever seeing one in person, and that's uh, a lunar eclipse. So these are kind of fun to experience. Uh, the solar eclipse is, is the one I'm most familiar with. That's the one I've stopped and I saw a couple some years ago. Um, there was one that went over Colorado, it went over most of the U.S. Very, very cool, very legal. Um, we stopped work and everyone went outside to go look at it. And, uh, had a, it was pretty fun, but you know, after you see a couple of them, you just kind of shrug. At least that's how I feel about it. So I got a list of eclipses that might be interesting for 2023. This April 20th, 420, we get that total solar eclipse, the one I've been talking about in uh, Southern Hemisphere, 
Southeast Asia, Australia. That's tomorrow. Uh, May 5th and 6th, there's also a lunar eclipse happening. Um, it, it's not till October, looks like October 14th, we're going to have a solar eclipse that's going to cross over the continental U.S. So, you could look forward to that if you're an eclipse junkie. I might, uh, might try and take a picture. I've never taken a picture of an eclipse, but there, uh, there's some technique about it. You don't just use your phone, you know, you got to build a special rig and you got to really uh, investigate materials and the attenuation factors and different uh, different solar filters and decide what you, you have to do the right analysis to make it work. And so um, to me, taking a photo of an eclipse isn't about the photo, it's about the, the journey. It's about learning about the, uh, the different films that you can buy and... Uh, getting a good solution that's going to get enough light into the uh into the lens enough light uh enough photons on your ccd to actually uh register a good quality picture um without over attenuating because you want to keep that signal to noise ratio boys and uh you know i think the analysis would be pretty fun so they used to think eclipses I, maybe they still are they're kind of spooky um you can say if you, you've seen one you feel like you've seen them all but maybe now that i'm i'm pondering about them more there's something special about them the it's like weird things happen you know it's like uh i don't know i'm thinking i'm just thinking about strange happenings that are unexplained and you know if you didn't really have a concept of uh of what's going on with this eclipse you know you, in the olden days they said some people would get upset by him and i had something happen to me that was very strange it was just completely unaccounted for uh with some par lights that i have in my apartment i have some um dmx lights and um I play with control of them sometimes you know you can change the color stuff like that they're basically just lighting in the living room and the, they're the kind where you set the mode. You can either control them with DMX or they have a bank of dip switches on the back and you can, um, you know, program in a color you, with some really coarse, really coarse um, acuity. Or you can put it into like a mode where uh, it has a little microphone built in and it'll change... I guess it has a built-in chase sequence, and then it'll kind of advance every time it hears a loud enough noise. So you can uh, set them up on your stage, and and they'll be triggered by every drum hit, you know, even if you don't have a lighting guy doing anything. And they're very cheapo. Uh, anyway, they also have a strobe mode. And just randomly the other day, uh, I was at home, and they just trip, tripped into strobe mode. And so this lamp, which has always been kind of a soft yellow, um, it doesn't have an amber. The LEDs are, are RGB, so I don't have that RGBA um, with the the nice amber color. But so I have that. You, if if you've dealt with these, uh, you'll know the trying to trying to synthesize certain shades of gold or uh, uh, really warm colors is very hard to do. With LEDs, unless they actually have that extra, um, you know, amber uh, amber diode inside them. Anyway, um, all that aside, 
it just started blinking. And it's been in this corner for over a year. I mean, over 18 months, I think, at this point. And it's never done anything weird before. And so the control on it, um, it's a DMX, which is, a, if I remember right, it's a differential control. So I don't expect it to be tripped, tripped up by noise or EMI. Um, there was nothing touching it that would change the dip switches. As far as I could tell, they weren't changed. It just started, it just changed the mode it was in for no reason and uh it was very suspicious i don't i'm not sure what to make of this you think even a cosmic ray you know if i had a if i had a cosmic showers uh flipping bits or something inside it you know you'd think because it was differential control it would be a little robust to that but it's very strange it's weird when lights just just turn on and off without you touching the switch already but the, in this case, it was, you know, changing from a warm-ish color, just kind of putting mood lighting in the room, to this really harsh blinking, which was startling. It almost looked like, a, you know, police light or something coming through the window. It, it took me a minute to figure what the hell happened, but very, uh, very strange occurrences. Well, I think that's all I got in me. Um, just doing this solo solo bit to uh, make sure you have something to listen to. Uh, hope there's something interesting in there for you. Uh, we'll have a regular show next week, uh, knock on wood. And uh, with cold acid back, we'll do boostograms and all that other good stuff. Well, that wraps it up for me. So until next time, I've been Abel Kirby. There's no one else here. Stay fruity, boys. Okay.